Morning. Y'all bear with me. I'll try not to sniff through the entire sermon this morning, but no promises. I, like many of you, am battling the crud. Such is life. All right, we are in Advent week four. We've been looking at Jesus Christ, the Son. Today we're looking at Jesus Christ, the Son of Man. What we have looked at so far is Jesus Christ, the Son of Mary and Joseph, Jesus Christ, the Son of Abraham, Jesus Christ, the Son of David. Last week and this week we'll be looking at Jesus Christ, the Son of Man. Next Sunday morning, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And then, of course, we'll have our Christmas Eve candlelight service at 6 p.m. next Sunday night for those who can make that and make that a priority. We look forward to doing that with you. Um, and then I do want to remind everyone today that we do have the youth Christmas play tonight here at 6 p.m. So plan to be here for that. It will be a great time. They've been putting in the work, and we're looking forward to the Lord blessing that. So we're looking at Jesus Christ, the son of David. If you would with me, I've tried this entire series. I forgot last week, but it wasn't on purpose for us to stand for the reading of God's word during this series. So if you would, please stand with me as we read these verses from Daniel chapter 7 in honor and reverence of God's holy, inspired, infallible, inerrant word. It says this, I kept looking in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man was coming. And he came up to the ancient of days and was presented before him, and to him was given dominion, honor, and a kingdom, so that all peoples, nations, and populations of all languages might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away, and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. Father, we come to you today and we thank you for the truth of your word. Lord, we pray as we always pray every week, God, that you today would take those who know you as Lord and Savior and that you would strengthen and revive all who call you Lord and Savior, who have placed their hope and trust in you for salvation, Father. And we pray that you have drawn someone to us today that does not know you as Lord and Savior and that today would be the day of salvation and through the singing of your word and through the worshiping of who you are and what you've done and what you're going to do, God, and the preaching of your word, that today would be the day they would come to know you as Lord and Savior and that we may celebrate that together today. We pray it all in Jesus' precious name and all God's people said, amen. Please have you a seat. So where are we here? We're in Daniel chapter 7, but where exactly are we in the story of what takes place in Scripture? Well, first of all, side note, this is in the, the prophets. So the prophets section, uh, the, the last 17 books of the Old Testament are not necessarily narrative stories. They're more like big, long sermons, big, long preacher messages. But they do contain some story in them. Uh, so if you didn't know that, the first 17 books of the Old Testament are history. That's narrative. The middle is the, is the five books, is the, is the Proverbs, is the Psalms, is the poetic writings of the Old Testament. And then the last 17 are the preachers getting all preacher happy and preaching for a long, long time. Um, but there are some, we know when some of these things are exactly are taking place. So where are we in the story? We're in 553 B.C., the first year of Belshazzar's reign, Daniel tells us at the beginning of chapter 7. We know historically when that was. So this vision that is revealed in the book of Daniel is after the events of the lion's den. Okay, It's revealed in this book after that took place. But it actually took place chronologically 
before that took place. Now, Daniel writes it in a way to make a point and to, to, tell a good, to tell the story properly and to tell it with meaning. But it actually chronologically took place 14 years before the lion's den. So uh, Daniel was about 68 years old when this vision or this dream came to him, um, when it came to him from the Lord, because he was 50, it had been 52 years since Daniel was taken captive to the, by the Babylonians after the fall of Jerusalem uh, and Judah to Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians. So we know he came when he was 16, and so it's been 52 years since that took place. Before we've picked it up here in verse 13 and 14, there are four beasts that are described in these verses at the beginning of Daniel's vision. Most scholars, and I say most because anytime you dig into prophecy, there is always a little bit differing opinion on some of the details, but most scholars uh, would agree that these four beasts represent four kings and four kingdoms, and historically they have been represented by uh, Babylon, represented by the lion, the Medo Persian kingdom, represented by the bear. Uh, raised up on one side, Greece represented by the winged leopards with the foreheads, and Rome represented by the mongrel beast. These are the verses at the beginning of chapter 11. And then after these descriptions of these four beasts, the vision changes rapidly to a scene of heaven and of God the Father, God the Most High, the Ancient of Days. So if you're still there, back up a couple of verses and let's pick it up there. Chapter 7, verse 9. As I kept watching, Daniel talking about this vision, thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was like snow, and the hair of his head like whitest wool. His throne was flaming fire. Its wheels were blazing fire. A river of fire was flowing, coming out from his presence. Thousands upon thousands served him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was convened, and the books were opened. Now, if you go to an AI website that does art and you put in those verses, that's what it pops out, which is pretty cool. Now, we don't want to worship that or anything, but it's pretty neat. I like visuals. So this vision of God's throne, it parallels Ezekiel 1. It's similar to what Ezekiel says. Uh, it parallels Deuteronomy 4.24 that says, For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. I love the way it's picked up there. So right before where we picked up, uh, where we read the verses 13 and 14, the scene is set here from verse 9 for judgment. That's what's being set, the scene of judgment. And we know, we've said before, you know, 10,000 was the highest number in the Greek. So 10,000 times 10,000 was like saying as many as you could possibly imagine were there worshiping or getting ready to be judged by the ancient of days. So the ancient of days... In Daniel 7, 9, 13, and 22 is a name for God that emphasizes his eternality, the fact that God is eternal. He is the God who has existed from eternity past, has planned all things, and is working all things out in his plan. This is not a literal description of God the Father. That's why it's dangerous for me to even put a picture up there because this is a figurative description of his character put in human terms so that we little peons can might maybe understand a little bit about God. It's a figurative description of his character that describes God as holy and eternal and sovereign. So the scene is set for judgment, and then you look at verse 7, verse 13, chapter 7, verse 13. It says, I kept looking in the night visions, 
And behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man was coming. We get two big things happening here in verse 13 after this scene has been set with God the Father, the Ancient of Days. One like the Son of Man, and He's coming on the clouds of heaven. Now, Son of Man is an oft-used term in Scripture. So not every time you see Son of Man is it talking about Christ, is it talking about Jesus. It is used often to describe many people and many things in Scripture. It is a way of saying it's like a human human. It's like it's really... It's, this is a person, this is a human, it's to describe the humanity of someone. So it's just a way to say that someone is a human. But here, he's coming on the clouds of heaven. This is a man, fully human, son of man, using that term. But men don't arrive on the clouds of heaven. Not regular men, not, not you and I. I've, I've never done that. I certainly would if I could because that sounds fun. But I've never done that, nor have I ever seen that done by any of you. If you ever pull that off, let me know. I'd like to see that. But ordinary men don't do that. To do that, you must be coming from heaven. To arrive on the clouds of heaven, you must be coming from heaven. So this is a man, but it's definitely not an ordinary man. We continue in the verses here. And he came up to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. Okay. First of all, side note. You don't just come up to the Ancient of Days as a regular dude. He's a consuming fire. Like, if you saw God the Father in all his glory right now in your sinfulness, you would be stricken with terror probably to the point of near death if you didn't just die by his consuming presence in the, in the first place. So for him to even approach the Ancient of Days says something. But it says the Son of Man is approaching the Ancient of Days, this, this title for God. This man is approaching God the Father. In the scene that we just read is prepared for judgment and he's presented before him. This is no ordinary man. Continuing verse 14. And to him was given, him being the son of man, and to him was given dominion and honor and a kingdom. Whoo, amen. Now, now we're getting into unknown territory. It's like, whoa. Like, if you didn't know what this was talking about, but you had an idea of, like, God and what's supposed to be ascribed to God and those types of things, if you didn't already, many of you haven't, al haven't already jumped ahead of me and know that Jesus is the Son of Man, right, that this is, who, this is who these verses are talking about. But for a regular Son of Man, for a human being to approach God the Father and then be given dominion and honor and kingdom... This is unknown territory. A man standing before God the Father. And he, the Ancient of Days, gives this man dominion, honor, and a kingdom. Another way to say that is sovereignty. The ability to rule. To be put in charge. To be given a kingdom. Now this man sounds different. He's human. That is being driven home. Plain as day by the title, Son of Man. Thus the term, Son of Man. But this is different for sure. This is no ordinary man. And the verses that we started with finish out this way. So that all peoples, nations, and populations of all languages might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting 
dominion which will not pass away, and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. It's like, wait a minute. He's given all of this by the ancient of days? All this is given to him so that people will worship him? That's what this is saying. These things are bestowed upon him, God the Father, to this Son of Man, so that people will worship him. I thought, hear, O oh Israel, the Lord is one, and thou shalt have no other gods before me. I thought only God was deserved worship. Well, that is true. That is true. So something's being said here that's not being said, right? Now, we're to worship man? They had to have been thinking. Israel had to have been thinking. God, are you, are you saying through this dude, Daniel, that we're to worship a man? Not only are we to worship this man, but this man's kingdom is going to be an eternal kingdom and shall never pass away. So we are to eternally worship this man? It's mind-boggling to the Jewish mindset. And honestly, it took hundreds of years for them to fully wrap their mind around it. And then when the Son of Man was standing before them, they still didn't get it. Because who could get it until Jesus himself came and revealed what this truly meant? His idea, Jesus' idea as the God-man of what the Messiah, the Son of Man, is, is so radically different than what the historical idea of who the Messiah would be for the Jews. It, it, it was so different that they didn't get it. And we still have trouble wrapping our minds around all that it means. So it's no wonder these verses here are the centrality of this book of Daniel. It's not the middle of the book, but it's the part of the book that gets focused on the most. It gets talked about all the time. There's no wonder there's so much scholarly work on these few verses. There's no wonder that there's so many articles and there's so many books that have been written on these few statements right here. Now, we could bog way down in the weeds here. And you all know that I wouldn't mind to do that. But we're not going to do that today. Not today. I want to try and keep this as crisp and as clean and as simple as possible. So don't worry about flipping to it unless you're really fast. But let's go to Mark chapter 2 in the New Testament. This is a familiar story to many where we're going here in Mark. This is the paralytic man who has four friends that were trying to get him to Jesus so he could be healed. Many of you have heard this if you've spent any time in church. The place was so packed that they couldn't get their friend in to see Jesus. There were too many people. So what do they do? They go up on the roof, right? They tear off the patch roof and they lower him down to be put in front of Jesus. And Jesus says, son, your sins are forgiven. And the people are confused because they're not really worried about his sins. They just want this guy to walk. And they were expecting him to say, son, you are healed. Get up and walk. But he doesn't. He says, son, your sins are forgiven. And they are confused. So wait a minute. You can't forgive sins. God forgives sins. What are you talking about? And we pick it up in Mark chapter 9, or chapter 2, excuse me, verse 9. And it says this, after those things have taken place, which is easier, this is Jesus speaking, to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven? Or to say, get up, 
and pick up your pallet and walk. But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralyzed man, I say to you, get up, pick up your pallet, and go home. A lot taking place there. This is the first time that the term Son of Man is used by Jesus in the Gospel of Mark. It's the first time he refers to himself as the Son of Man. And he ties that with the ability to forgive sins. This is Jesus' preferred, judging by the amount of times it is used in the Gospels, title for himself. 82 times in the, in, in the New Testament, 82 times Jesus is referred to as the Son of Man. Most of those 82 times by him himself calling himself the Son of Man. The title refers to Jesus' humanity. We've already talked about that. This title refers to Jesus' humility. And both of those things are extremely important things. But today, we're going to just hone in here on one very important part of Jesus being the Son of Man. Not a Son of Man, but the Son of Man. Not a Son of Man, but say it with me, the Son of Man. And there is a big difference between those two things. We want to get out of today what Colossians 2, 9 through 10 says about Jesus. It's on the screen. For in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. And in him you have been made complete. And he is the head over every ruler and authority. And that's quite the statement. In him... This human, this man, dwells all the fullness of God Most High in bodily form. God incarnate. God coming from heaven to be born as a baby as we celebrate this time of year. And, and in him, you, faithful follower of Jesus, have been made complete. And he is the head over every ruler and all authority. Today, what you need to leave here knowing with all your heart is that Jesus Christ, the Son of Man, and the, is, and the only one worthy of you placing your faith in for eternal life and salvation. That's what I want you to understand today. And I'll re-say that because I think I messed it up. Jesus Christ, the Son of Man, is the only one worthy of you placing your faith in for eternal salvation. Eternal life salvation. 82 times Jesus referred to was referred to as the Son of Man in the New Testament. Here's, some, here's a list of a few things that are tied to Jesus being the Son of Man in the New Testament. This is a short list because I just said it's 82 times and this is only a few. The list tied to the Son of Man. He's able to forgive sins. We just looked at that. Mark 2.10. It's also stated in Matthew 9.6. He's Lord of the Sabbath which really surpasses our Gentile minds don't get how big of a deal that Scripture says Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. That's another way of saying that he is God. It's another way of saying that he is God. The Son of Man came to save lives, Luke 9, 56 and 19, 10. He came to rise from the dead, to resurrect, Mark 9, 9. These are all things that says Son of Man and these things happening at the same time. He came to execute justice, which if you had any idea of what Daniel 7 says... You would know that because that's what the scene was, right? It's a scene of judgment. And we go to the trial of Jesus. Standing before the, before the high priest in the Sanhedrin, the elders, the scholarly. It says this. 
Now the chief priests and the entire council kept trying to obtain false testimony about Jesus. They're sick of this dude, and they're trying to find any way they can to get rid of him. So that they might put him to death. They did not find any, even though many false witnesses came forward. They tried to pay some people off, but it just wasn't sticking. But later on, two came forward and said, This man, Jesus, stated, I am able to destroy the temple of God and rebuild it in three days. Quite the statement to make, Jesus. The high priest stood up and said to him, Do you offer no answer for what these men are testifying about you? But Jesus kept silent, and the high priest said to him, him keeping silent was fulfillment of prophecy. And the high priest said to him, I place you under oath by the living God. Tell us whether you are the Christ, the Son of God. And then we pick it up in Matthew, where it says this, Matthew 24. Jesus said to him, you have said it yourself. You said that I am. You've said it. But I tell you, from now on, you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and, say it with me, coming on the clouds of heaven. Whoa. Clear what Jesus is saying here. Clear what Jesus is saying here. Jesus, as clearly as possible, as clearly as he can possibly say, say it, says, I am the one presented to the ancient of days. I am the one given the right to judge all mankind. I am the one given dominion and honor and a kingdom forever and ever and ever. I am him. The one that Daniel saw nearly 600 years ago. I am the son of man. I am God, Jesus is saying. There's many skeptics out there that say Jesus never said he was God. Yes, he did. Over and over and over and over again, from numerous sources, from different walks of life, Jesus is quoted as saying being that he is equivalent to God the Father. Now, listen to how he speaks of his kingdom over and over in the Gospels while, trying, uh, while tying it to this title, Son of Man. This is Jesus talking about it, the Son of Man from Daniel. Matthew 13 says it like this. The Son of Man will send forth his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all stumbling blocks and those who commit lawlessness, and they will throw them into the furnace of fire. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus says the Son of Man comes to bring judgment. Not the first time, the second time. There will be a judgment. Those who have made Jesus their Lord will be deemed righteous. And those who have not or have only called him Lord but not made him Lord will be judged unrighteous. And that's when it gets heavy, right? Whew, I felt it too. Matthew 16. Truly, I say to you, there are some of those who are standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Matthew 16, verse 28. And then six days later, after Jesus makes this statement, Peter, James, and John saw the transfiguration of Christ on the mountain. Jesus displayed his glory before them, momentarily, before the crucifixion. That's what he's talking about in this statement. 
And then the author of Hebrews drives this point home even further with a, <clears throat> quite a few verses. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 5 through 9. It says, For he did, not subject, he did not subject to angels the world to come. God did not give the, the, to the angels what is about to come, about which we are speaking. But someone has testified somewhere saying, What is man that you think of him? Or a son of man that you are concerned about him? You have made him for a... A little while lower than angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor. You have put everything in subjection under his feet. Continuing. For in subjecting all things to him, he left nothing that is not subject to him. But now we do not yet see all things subjected to him. Catch what he's saying here. I'm going to stop just for a second. So God the Father takes God the Son, brings him as the son of man, places him lower than the angels for a little while. That means he made him a human being. That's what that's saying. And then makes him subject to all things, makes him sin for you and for me. And by doing that, now everything is under his footstool. That's what he's saying. And he's quoting Psalms 8 by making this point. And so, verse 9, but we do not see he him who was made for a little while lower than the angels, namely Jesus, because of his suffering death crowned with glory and honor so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. We don't see it happening yet. and That's what was so hard for everyone to get. He's coming once to take away the sins of the world. He's coming the second time to judge the sins of the world. That's what this is talking about. We don't see it happening yet, but it is happening. It is happening. The author reinforces the idea that Jesus is the Son of Man, and the Son of Man has been given dominion over all things. The author of Hebrews here is saying that. He will rule. He will reign. He will come again on the clouds of heaven. That he, he is saying that he is the suffering servant Messiah, taking away the sins of the world, and he is conquering king, bringing judgment on evil, on the evil of the world in his second advent. That is the point he is trying to drive home here. have a mix up here. I'll fix it real quick. That's what happens when you get sick. So, uh, if you go back, I can find where I'm at. I'm sorry, guys. Okay, so <laughs> I know where I'm at now. Sorry. <laughs> it's cold medicine brain. Um, so, with that idea, we jump forward to Revelation 1, which is why that was on the first slide. Jump forward to Revelation 1 with me. Chapter 5, if you're not there, it's on the screen. John telling us about the, the revelation of Jesus Christ says, And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and released us from, from our sins by his blood, and he made us into a kingdom priest to his God and Father. Continuing right along, for in sub, to be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds. There it is again. And every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him. I'll put that up there if I can follow my own stuff. There we go. To him with the glory and dominion forever. Amen. Verse 7. Behold, say it with me, he is coming with the clouds. Again, we sing songs that say this. And you may not have known. We may have just thought it was just 
cool lyrics to a song. We sing these songs for a reason because it's a clear description of what Jesus is going to do in the second advent. When he comes back the second time, he's going to be coming in the clouds. My, one of my favorite songs, Lion and the Lamb, sings about that. Here it is again, this imagery of Jesus, the Son of Man from Daniel's prophecy in the 6th century B.C., coming on the clouds. And then skip down a few verses to verse 12. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking with me. And after turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the middle of the lampstands, I saw one like a son of man, clothed in a robe, reaching to the feet, and wrapped around the chest with a golden sash. His head and his hair were white like wool, like snow, and his eyes were like a fire, like a flame of fire. Verse 15, still in Revelation 1, his feet were like burnished bronze when it was when it has been heated to a glow in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, the word of God, and his face was like the sun shining in its strength. Now, it's a lot of words. I want to make sure the, you're getting the point that we're trying to make here. This is a similar description of the Ancient of Days in Daniel chapter 7, now being ascribed to Jesus Christ saying that they are one and the same. Again, that's a big deal. There's only been one human being that's ever lived that has said they were God and then proved that they were God by their life. And then all the people that followed him did everything they could to show us that he is the Ancient of Days. He is God. Jesus is God. Who, who is the Son of Man to rule and reign forevermore? Now, let's stop in one more place and we'll be done. Go back to Daniel chapter 7. Back to Daniel chapter 7, and we'll finish up here. Where we started. I'm going to skip down a few verses. This is the end of the explanation of the vision that Daniel has been given. Daniel chapter 7, verse 26. But the court will convene for judgment, and his dominion will be taken away. He's been talking about the fourth beast causing havoc. His dominion will be taken away, annihilated, and destroyed forever. Then the sovereignty, the dominion, and the greatness of all the kingdoms under the whole heaven will be given to the people of the saints of the highest one. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom, and all the empires will serve and obey him. There's one final thing to say about Jesus, the Son of Man, and the Most High God. The Most High is the reigning king in heaven and earth. There is an opposition to his rule. Formidable in appearance and powerful. But all the time the Most High is in control. Even when his opponents seem most successful as Christ is hanging on a tree, bleeding on the verge of death, and Satan thinks he's won because he's killed the Son of God. So he thinks. Even when it seems like he's most successful, God is still in control. 600 years before Jesus put a foot on this earth, breathed his first human breath, Daniel said that there's one coming, this one that appears to be a human being, but he's different. He's, he's like God because he is God. And to him will be given dominion and power and sovereignty to rule and reign forever. And ever and ever. And then Jesus, as clearly as he could, 
so often referred to himself as this person, as this son of man. And when he did that, right before his crucifixion, when he was on trial, where we were reading from Matthew, the part that I didn't read was right after he said that, you'll see the son of man at the right hand of power coming on the clouds of heaven. What did the people who had him on trial do right after he did that? Tore their clothes and said, we don't need to hear anything else. This dude said he is God. Kill him. That guy is who we're here to worship this morning. That guy is who reigns forever. And this is the one thing I want you to get. That guy, the son of man, judgment is committed to him who seems to share humanity and therefore to know from experience the odds against mankind. Now that's the way the Tyndale says it commentary. I'll say it in layman's terms. Jesus knows what it feels like to be a human being. God the Father gives judgment to God the Son because God the Father doesn't know what it is to be you and me in a sinful world. But God the Son does. And God the Son is righteous and can, and can knows the suffering of man. And therefore, it is righteous for him to be the one that passes out judgment over evil. I, I don't know if that lands with you, but boy, it lands with me. To know that the God that I worship can identify with what it feels like to live in this world. To know what it's like to experience sickness, the loss of loved ones, to, to see sin and to see evil, to see oppression and to see the poor and to see all the things that is, is devastating in this world because of sin. He understands it. He's felt it. He's been there. He took all of that pain on the cross. But we serve a risen Savior, right? I love that old hymn, don't you? We serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. I know that he is living. Whatever men may say, some of you know the words, come on. I see his hand of mercy. I hear his voice of cheer. And just the time I, time I need him, he's always near. He lives. He lives. Christ Jesus lives today. That's right. He walks with me, and he talks with me along life's narrow way. He lives, he lives, salvation to impart. You ask him how I know he lives, he lives within my heart. He lives within the core of who that I am. Jesus Christ, the Son of Man, the one who's been given a forever kingdom by the Most High God, his Father, whom he is equal to. That, that man, that God is who we are preparing to celebrate the birth of this season. A king that gives hope, a king that brings peace, a king that has love for us all to the point of an undeserved death for our salvation. What a king. King Jesus, the son of man who we're here to worship today. If you don't know him today as your Lord and Savior, please make today the day of salvation. We would love to celebrate that with you. Dusty, would you come forward in case anyone needs <clears throat> to pray? or to understand what it is to follow Christ. Father, we thank you for your love and your grace and your mercy, and we pray that as we finish up this time worshiping through song, God, that if there's business to tend to, that your Holy Spirit would superintend all that needs to take place. In Jesus' name, amen. I invite you to stand with us again. And um, as I mentioned last week,